Why'd you start this podcast? <laughs> and then this is where I freeze frame and say, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Ramirez, and welcome to the Hit List Podcast, a podcast where me and guests cross out films for our watch list and discuss them. This is Season 6, Episode 2, and today I'm joined by movie-slash-commercial writer and director Manish Raghuwanshi. Welcome, Manish. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jason. How are you? I'm very good, very good. So, I, I know about Manish because he posts these breakdowns of how some films are made, and I learn a lot from these um, videos he posts on Instagram. Especially because it reminds me of like the special features you see on like DVDs mm. or Blu-rays. I think that's where he gets his inspiration from. And they're actually very well produced, well edited. So that's why I invited him to be on the show. Thank so, you. I'm just, st- I'm just stealing every frame of painting. It's literally just that. <laughs> I, well, that's it. It's nothing more. <laughs> I think it's a good way to carrying it to, to torch into this new era of social media. Like yeah, he, exactly. He's been away for a while. Like someone else has to pick up the pace, you know? Has to there's carry a, legacy. Yeah, there's a thing... Um, like Tony and Taylor, they have a Netflix series, which you can watch. I think it's called Void. Oh, okay. I think I heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, ha- I don't have Netflix anymore because, you know, the whole no more sharing passwords anymore. Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm uh, tired. Of- I can't steal anymore. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, if, if it ever comes out on DVD, I might just check it out or Blu-ray, even better. Yeah, so- yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you real quick before we get started. This is a question I ask everyone on the show. What are your viewing habits when you sit down to watch a movie? Do you stick to your favorites or watch something new? Uh, it's it's both. I will, if I have nothing like planned, I will just like recycle old favorites. And a lot of times I don't even watch movies in their entirety. I just go to like scenes I like, sequences I like. Um <laughs> But I am, I actively try to watch new things. I have a list um, just like on my iPhone and I'm like, okay, I try to make progress on it. Is it like a traditional list on your notes app or is it like letterboxed? Uh, Just a notes app. Just a notes app. Okay. I used to do letterbox, but even that was too much friction for me. I need the most like Mm. basic thing possible. Like even when I like write like my social media content, I just do it in notepad. Mm. So I want like... The least amount of features. <laughs> like actually, just, yeah. That actually reminds me of this one newsletter I used to like have emailed to me. Uh, I think it was the guy who wrote the book, The Ops Goes Away. And he, he writes a lot, right? And he said like he was looking for like a, a very basic laptop where you mm-hmm. don't have any special features, whatever. Like you don't connect to the internet. You just it's just for writing. And I'm just reading it, I'm like you mean a typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're asking for a typewriter, dude. Just get one. You can afford one. And I know, yeah, like I was, uh, George R. R. Martin, he writes on. It's like this ancient program. I forgot what like, it's called. It's it like from DOS? like the seventies or eighties. Yeah, something like that. Like it's for that. And he's like, yeah, I don't want to upgrade. I'm good. Yeah, I think part of it's because like he doesn't want to get hacked. But it's also like very mm-hmm. simple. Like if you have like thing that's exactly for what you need, why upgrade it? So like. Oh, you can also you can also go to Twitter on this. Like, you don't what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, you can so do I, all these all these things that'll stop you from writing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I I totally get that. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. So, my next question for you is: What's something about you that people would be surprised to know? Oh, that's a that's a good question. 
I studied engineering. I really? did not. Yeah, I, I uh, my degrees in chemical engineering from the University of Waterloo. Oh my in god! Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, it. Was like the classic, you know, brown kid do math, science, all that crap. Um, mm-hmm. And I did it, but I never liked it. Oh so yeah. I wa- at a point, it was like, are you allowed to swear? By the way. Yeah, you good. You good. Okay. Yeah, I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna do my own thing. Wow, that's such a. I guess it wasn't like a turn. It's like it, filmmaking is something you always wanted to do, right? Uh, not actually. I think uh, university made me want to do it because mm. uh, this actually, uh, I can tie this into Goodfellas actually um, <laughs> because in, what was it? Yeah, in university, I was miserable like first year. I hated it, didn't want to be there. Um, so like instead of coping through like alcohol or drugs i just coped through watching a bunch of movies and that yeah that's what i would just stay in my room and just watch it all day it's how i like watch like sopranos the wire like Mm. freaks and geeks all those like imdb top 250 all that stuff like for the first time and then that just got me into it and then i unfortunately caught the bug and now my life is screwed so i'm trying to be an artist so fuck me (laughs) yeah for me it's like it's something I always wanted to do, but I was always kind of afraid of do, of doing it. Afraid of like admitting, like, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be a director because right, I didn't right. think I didn't think it was like I didn't think people would take me seriously. Well, jokes on them, people never really took me seriously anyway. So, <laughs> so they yeah, they won't take you seriously until you make something good. Then they'll just be like, okay, they're competent. exactly exactly. So it's just a matter of like just keep doing it. And yeah, exactly. And it's funny for me because like people always think I went to film school because like. I talk a lot about filming and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I went to school for communication, which is like pr- pretty similar, but not right, it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. All right. I, so, like, the, I like the self-taught. It's like you, mm-hmm. I like it because you'll learn, you'll learn, like you will learn the same shit, but you'll also learn totally different things that they would, I presume, not teach you in film school. And like, mm-hmm. you'll arrive at certain conclusions in your own way. Which in in theory should reinforce that learning even more. Yeah. Versus like, oh, I don't know, film school. Do they take tests? They probably take tests. They probably be like, okay, let me memorize this for a test and I'll forget about it. Yeah. For what I heard from film school, because I did consider it, but I ultimately chose not to. Is that like Mm -hmm. they only teach you how to make a film, but not much beyond that. And it's like I I had I had the the forethought to think like I kind of need to learn more than just making a movie. I kind of need to learn how to communicate with people because I kind of don't know how to do it. So that's how I switched majors to communication from okay. political science at first. Hey, now you're, <laughs> you're a podcaster. Your job is just communication. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It helps. So yeah, in, the long, in the long run, it helped me. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get back to, back to on topic for what we're actually talking about today. Yes. Yes. Today we're going to be discussing Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a 1990 American biographical crime film directed by Martin Scorsese, Written by Nicholas Pileggi and Scorsese and produced by Erwin Winkler. It is a film adaptation of the 1985 nonfiction book Wise Guy by Pileggi. Starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, and Paul Sorvino, the film narrates the rise and fall of mob associate Henry Hill and his friends and family from 1955 to 1980. This film was on Manish's watch list. Manish, why was this film on your list? Uh, it's my favorite movie of all time. It's your favorite movie of all time? Yeah. Okay. It was supposed to be on your watch list that you haven't seen before. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's. See. Of course, it was. Yeah, it was on. It was on my watch list because you know I heard uh, this Scorsese guy's all right. So let me let me watch his most famous movie. <laughs> so I guess like since you already seen it before, what what brought you to watching it in the first place? Was it because university, like you said? Yeah, sat in school, and I think it was just on IMDb's top two fifty. So I was just moving down the list, mm-hmm. and then. It was like, it's pretty high up there. So I just clicked on it and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> this is the great, greatest thing I've ever seen. All right. This gotcha. is, I want to make movies. Yeah. I saw this film a few years ago. I don't remember which date. It might've been 2016. Might've been a little later than that. But I really liked it when it came out. And I didn't make the connection that it's the same director from The Wolf of Wall Street. And oh, okay. rewatching it, I'm like, there's a lot of Wolf of Wall Street, like, influence here is like did the director like get inspired by this oh it's the same guy it's the same guy <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah did you also Have get you that seen... vibe? oh yeah um like in broad strokes yes like you have what like narration mm. um like the very this is like my favorite thing about goodfellas um or one of them it's just it's essentially one long montage mm. i just like i really like that style it's also why i like ladybird a lot to me, Lady mm. Bird is just doing that storytelling, that style of storytelling. Yeah, there's a million things. I was going to ask you, have you seen, it's a Scorsese short film called, it's like uh, like something, something Murray. It's not just you, Murray. Have you seen that? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, so that is in this style, actually, mm-hmm. uh, in the Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas style. I presume it's like the uh. first time he was experimenting with it. And there's entire, like, moments that are from wolf of wall street that are directly from that short film they're identical mm, okay yeah. like do you know like which one specifically uh yeah what's an uh it'll take me too long to think about it so okay i can't remember but there is this direct shit you'll be like oh man he's a hack he's stealing from himself <laughs> like fucking 40 years ago yeah that's I think all the greats kind of do that. Hans Zimmer did that with Gladiator and Harry Potter, like the soundtracks. If you listen to them back to back, he kind of, he looked, took directly from Gladiator for Harry Potter. But was that's it John Williams' Harry Potter? Was it? Maybe I think of a different movie that he did. You might be right. Yeah, John Williams. Either okay. way, or was it Pirates of the Caribbean? Did he do Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, I don't think that was either of them. Okay. I could be wrong. But I don't think so. Either way. He's done it before. I know this right. for a fact. <laughs> right, right, right. So just like you, I don't, I can't, I can't think of the exact example, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, there's like all this like John Williams uh, stories of like the the like soundtrack for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like it's just copied from like all these like classical pieces that he loves, mm-hmm. and then you just remix them and turn them into Star Wars. Yeah, so basically Star Wars itself as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Just like Star Wars itself. Yeah. 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 All right, so. I guess I want to ask you, who is your favorite character? Ooh, uh, who is my favorite character? Probably depends on like the day. <laughs> but in terms of, okay, let's say in terms of pure entertainment value, it's like Joe Pesci because he might just mm-hmm. like lose his shit at any moment. <laughs> and I like watching dudes with like short man syndrome. It's really entertaining to me. <laughs> uh, so that, that I love. Um, and I do love Henry Hill. Um, just as like our like guide through the movie, like he's mm-hmm. just a like a likable dude, minus all the infidelity and uh, yeah. violence. Yeah, ignore that stuff. But all that 
like he's great and robert de niro he's just anything with robert de niro like it's i like robert de niro regardless of like the character <laughs> he's playing yeah that tends to be like the way it goes as well i will say i like um henry hill the most out of everyone mm-hmm. uh i was not a big fan of joe pesci's character because he was a very violent man and he lost his shit over nothing and the oh, way yeah. he killed the way he killed Spider, I was like, no, I fucking hate this guy. He needs to die. And guess what? He did. <laughs> that that was uh, I was watching the movie with like an ex girlfriend once, and that mm-hmm. was the moment where she's just like, why are we watching this? There's no one to root for. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just like, ah, it's alright. It's not just just stick with it. She did end up liking it, but I'm like, That's okay. Yeah, it's like um, even Joe Pesci was like not understanding why he would shoot the guy out of nowhere. He had to like really work towards like that moment. Like why, why would he do this right at this moment? You know, well, he told you to go fuck yourself. Hey, you gonna let him talk to you like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing it's, it's uh, a short man syndrome. <laughs> it's just his fucking ego. And what's crazy is that like, I, I've only known Joe Pesci from the home alone movies. That, oh, really? and it, yeah, and like when seeing him like um, a few years, like the first time I saw him a few years ago, I'm like, is that, is that Marv or is it Harry? I don't remember. <laughs> Harry, Either way, Harry. it's Harry. Is that Harry? Where's yeah. Marv? Al, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to say Home Alone was also my first exposure to Joe Pesci. Yeah. I don't even think I registered who he was in Goodfellas, like until like watched like number five of Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely like something like, it's a wild consideration, like, why he would... I think they were released in the same year, wasn't it? Because they were both 1990. Oh, yeah, good point. So it's very bizarre. Like, he'll be, like, in two di- two completely different genre films for different audiences in the same mm. year. And he did well in both of them. It, it's it's bizarre. It speaks to his range. That's why he's great. <laughs> yeah. So, and he came from, I think, improv comedy, so it makes sense. Oh, really? Like that, yeah, and to me, he's funny in both performances. He's really funny. Yeah, he's great. He's great. So this movie is considered one of Martin Scorsese's greatest films and a classic in the crime genre. What do you think makes the movie stand out from other mob movies of the time? Uh, Of the time, I don't know. (laughs) I haven't seen enough movies of the time. I guess like we can do the obvious like Godfather like comparison. Mm -hmm. Because that's probably the other one most people know about. Um, Like for me, it's just a like godfather is like a mythical like fantasy story right Mm -hmm. it's way more like operatic um and goodfellas is just more grounded and real this is what actually like their day-to-day life is like yeah um right like it's way more like documentary like leaning yeah that's probably like then there's a bajillion like stylistic differences i don't know how much time you got Um, (laughs) (laughs) but i'll let you lead that yeah, I will say, like, I have the controversial opinion among my peers that I'm not a big fan of The Godfather. Oh, and really? I've tried watching it many times. Every time it's like, I, I like it even less. I can't get into it. <laughs> and then I saw Goodfellas. I'm like, guys, y'all been telling me The Godfather is one of the best mob movies ever? When Goodfellas yeah. is right there? <laughs> and yeah. people got mad at me. Like, hey, Goodfellas is good. But don't compare that to shit to The Godfather. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're talking about. And... I do my best not to mention that in public because I'll get shit on by everyone. No matter no, like, do which... it. Just do it. Just be a heel. Like, fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> it, it, the last time I did it was when I first started university. Cause I transferred to university and I was in one class and we were making a discussion. Like 
it was like a communication class like hey it, if someone says like unpopular thing everyone automatically jumps on them I and mean, they feel isolated and then they can't mm. they lose their power you know something along those lines i'm like yeah you know and i said yeah it's kind of like me like what i always i don't like the godfather and every time and then i didn't even finish the sentence like everyone's like, <gasps> I'm like okay <laughs> chill chill it's an opinion. It's like, no, how can you not like the Godfather? Yeah. I'm like, okay, now I see the example happening in real time. And but you know what? I will defend myself because I don't like I like to do this out of spite. It insists yes. upon itself. <laughs> no, I love it. Just be become George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, someone's actually compared me to George Costanza once. <laughs> oh really? That was yeah. that and were you deeply offended or proud? No, I was just like I was just confused at first because I, I hadn't seen Seinfeld in a while. I'm like, oh George. Mm-hmm. George! Oh yeah, yeah. I get he's he's a funny guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I always uh like Seinfeld's like my favorite show, like ever, mm-hmm. and like George is probably my favorite character of all time. But I yeah. would never want to be friends with him. Yeah, exactly. He's terrible. <laughs> the the yeah. whole friend group is terrible. <laughs> yeah, but I love watching him on TV. It's why I like Joe Pesci's character. I just like he's entertaining to me, and that's what makes him my favorite character. Yeah. So yeah. I want to ask you real quick. So this movie has been cited as like a major influence on like the next subsequent films and filmmakers. It's, it was even an influence on Jonah Hill. He saw this movie when he was seven, um, really? believe it or not. Um, so one of my I, favorite actors, Jonah Hill. Yeah, and he eventually started, He eventually worked with Martin Scorsese in The Wolf of Wall yeah. Street. Yeah. So how do you think like this film's legacy shaped the c- crime genre and storytelling in general in cinema in years to come? Right. Um crime genre okay what i there's definitely been i've you've probably seen like a billion not a billion but a bunch of movies afterwards in that style mm-hmm. i know there's like there's that one it's like called war dogs i think jonah hill's actually yeah. in that movie it's like right jonah miles teller and like on the dare and they're like what they're like arms dealers or something right and it's 100 percent told in that goodfellas style um Anytime I just like think of like voiceover, like even something like Edge of Seventeen, like Haley Steinfeld, like coming of yeah. age movie, it's just like, okay, she literally says at the beginning, let me take you back, boom, <laughs> and then we go back right at the beginning. Um, so definitely like in that way, it's influenced like all movies. Um, and in terms of like, let's say more like specific style, like Paul Thomas Anderson like he rips everything off once again not a bad thing i i also just rip everything off when i make shit um so you can see it like in his work and a bunch of other people i forget it right now but pta is definitely the most i think like was he he did um, this one he did boogie nights right yes so yeah i'm thinking like that one tracking shot he did in boogie nights he kind of like i guess drew inspiration from goodfellas with the couple of cabana scene where they're going for the back way to get to the to the club yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do very exuberant steady cam shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to talk about that next bit. For me, I guess I'm not sure where the needle scratch came from. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Needle like, drop. Like, needle, well, not needle drop, needle scratch where like something will happen and then it will like freeze frame and then Kara's like, you're probably wondering how I got here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, so Scorsese, I think he stole that from a French movie a uh, Truffaut mm. movie called uh, Jules and Jim. Uh, okay. If he didn't get the freeze frame from there specifically, he said that Goodfellas is just him trying to make an entire movie in the style of the first like 10 minutes of Jules and Jim. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I had to like get more. I'm sorry. My dog's.
trying to get inside. Hold on. Oh, yeah. It's all good. All good. All right. Where was I? We're talking about... Um, Jules and Jim. Yeah, the influence. I'm like, oh, Scorsese tried to make Goodfellas in the style of the first 10 minutes of Jules and Jim. Gotcha. I'll, I'll have to look into that one. But I guess okay. what I want to talk about, like, the... Which were your favorite scenes? I know one of mine, but which one, which one stood out to you? Can I try to guess your favorite scene? Yeah. Was it the funny house scene? Which one's that one? It's like the first time we meet like older Joe Pesci. And he's like, uh, you think I'm funny, blah, 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 all that shit. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Funny how? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, that it's, scene for you. No. For me, it's like, I like that one. It's like a quotable one, but not, not, not my favorite scene. Okay. Um, yeah, my favorite scene. I don't know if I have like a favorite. Man, this whole movie, it's all my favorite. It's okay. You answer, then I'll answer. Okay. Think? It's the it's the one shot, the oneer with the tracking shot with the Copacabana where they're okay. going for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one's great. I I guess I just like how even without even knowing like the backstory to how they made that, I just liked how it basically introduced. Um, what's her name? Was it Helen? Well, um, his wife, right? Yeah, his wife. Basically, before they even married, like he's introducing her to his world, and she's, you know, she's seduced by everything. Like everyone knows his name. She sees how powerful he is. Like, and basically, they get front row seats to the to the show just by going for the back, and just because he has connections. And yeah, yeah, yeah. She's seduced by the whole thing, and then you're, I guess, the audience is also like entranced by the whole thing because everything's happening. As if it's real in real time, mm-hmm. and so that's why I've always been impressed by it. And I was like, both thematically what it represents, and also technically how it looks on screen. I after that, I would, I would bang Henry Hill after if he <laughs> took me to dinner like that, did all this. You're like, yeah, whatever you want me to do, yeah, yeah, it's a, it a great time. <laughs> her name, uh, her name is Karen, by the way, Karen. Hill. Karen, Karen. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, he probably did that with more than one woman. He's like. He knew what he got. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's his move, right? That's his yeah. play, hundred percent. My I might have to make my own play like that, you know, <laughs> local club here. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, my favorite scene, right? Can I give you my favorite sequence, which is mm-hmm. like the last day to be a wise guy? Yeah, yeah, sequence. Yeah. yeah, that's like definitely the part that if I'm randomly just scrubbing through Goodfellas, I'll land on there. Yeah, it's a yeah, really it, good one. And it makes sense because he's on drugs. So, like, you kind of see, like, how he's thinking and you kind of get how he's thinking as well. Oh, yeah. My, like, um, I'm going to do, like, a, my own personal, like, Goodfellas study soon. Not, mm-hmm. not that I've already done it a bajillion trillion times just by consuming it so much. Um, but I want to just, like, um, just listen to the movie. Um, like drive around and just listen to the audio and especially in the last day being a wise guy i just i want to really pay attention to just like how the songs are transitioning in and out and right. like what points are changing and why like i'll try to guess like why the decision was made to do it at that point yeah i will say like when i was doing my studies on the film um mm-hmm. after this movie came out they tried to get the editor who edited the movie to do the same thing on like other films and then she'll mm-hmm. be like no it's not it's not the same it doesn't call for this at all yes the reason why it's edited like this is because harry is like on drugs and he's paranoid like everything so many so many things are happening at once and his point of view is frenetic that's why it's like that we can't do it on this film 
because it'll just be like in the style of good plugs but without getting yeah, what yeah. goodfellas is about so i like how she was like no we're not doing it because it doesn't make sense <laughs> i wish more people were like that you know <laughs> yeah i like honestly if i was a producer or somebody like i i understand why they would ask that it's like mm -hmm. hey that part was cool like you know do it for our movie people might like our movie more yeah but then they only like that one part like what's a movie that you only know because of that one part for me it's x-men um apocalypse i think with quicksilver okay that's it that's all i know about the movie that one quicksilver scene where he's like he saves everyone at the school that's it have you seen the rest of the movie no <laughs> oh okay i've seen it and the only thing i remember or not the, my favorite part about it the most memorable is that apocalypse when he like is born whatever he mm -hmm. he learns all the information about humanity by just touching a tv and he no learns it's amazing it's amazing it's so stupid imagine if he came back during the 90s and touched a computer <laughs> yeah it was so good I'm like this is this is my favorite x-men now because how stupid this is that's so I don't want to say stupid. It's like silly. Yeah, it's silly. But you know yeah, what? Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate it for what it is. That's the only part of that movie I actually like. <laughs> <It's just that. laughs> so speaking of violence, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. loyalty and betrayal, how effectively do you think they delve into like these topics in a movie, like of like loyalty and betrayal? What do you mean by effectively? Like, do you think they were able to effectively portray, like, loyalty among the mob? Yeah, I guess I can only speak to it in terms of, like, did I buy the behavior? And, yeah, I bought the behavior of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt betrayed that Henry ratted his friends out. I hate a rat. Everyone hates a rat. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt that. And I'm like, yo, fuck you, Henry. Yeah, I definitely felt that, too. But, like, I'm also, like, very much, like, goody two-shoes. I'm like, yo, he needs to pay for his crimes. Like, especially because... Uh, I didn't like Henry from since he was a teenager because they basically got that mailman and beat him up to make sure he never um, brought home papers from school, mailed it <laughs> yeah. to his parents' home because he got Great beat team. up that one time by his dad. And I'm like, you know, if you really want, if you really cared about him, you do that to his dad. And because I, I thought they were gonna do that because like I forgot what mm. happened that first part. I thought that they went and beat up his dad. I'm like, yo, that's kind of fucked up. It's like. Oh no, they just beat up a mailman. But even then, that man is just doing his job. <laughs> He's literally just delivering mail. Yeah, poor mailman. He did not deserve that. He's just collateral damage, unfortunately. Yeah. So the thing I caught the second time around was how there's like two I, I don't want to say two different chapters, but because like, you know, this there are chapters in this movie, but it's like two very crucial moments in the film. I guess the one crucial moment, like you it's like the foreshadowing. Yeah, there we go. Foreshadowing. I forgot whose character it was. I think it was the guy who was um the big guy. Be I forgot his name. Holly, like the boss. Yeah, yeah. He he was like telling Harry like in the beginning like, okay, you're one of us now. Like, don't rat us out. The thing we don't like is oh, a yeah, rat. That, yeah, that you was, that? Uh, De, De Niro was doing that in the courtroom scene. Was it okay? Yeah. Yeah, it it's was right okay. He yeah. said like one thing we don't like is a rat or whatever, and. I'm like remembering like oh this is like the moment like he's gonna be loyal but not when it counts the most for them and I was like damn huge foreshadowing right here I didn't see it before but now I see it it's like he's gonna rat them out 
And even though it's like an autobiographical film, not autobiographical, it's still like some biography to this film. Yeah. It's ba- based on the actual guy. I yeah. was like, they did it very well, like the way they structured the film, uh, the screenplay for that. I feel like you, like you honestly have to do that, um, like setup. So I was reading uh, the other day, what did I watch? Oh yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Mm-hmm. So I watched that. Have you seen it? No, please don't mention it. <laughs> Okay, fuck. All right. All right. Uh, let's say, okay, I'll use another example. Imagine in some other movie like um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, it rhymes with three, Shmri. Um, I'll just say, okay, a thing happens at the end that was not set up. So it felt like, mm. oh, that came out of nowhere. And right. I, it was like, it's supposed to be like a big emotional moment, but I'm just like, this is, you have not been building up to this. So I right. don't really care. Yeah. So I'm like, you, because that's like, they have to do that. Cause the whole ending is literally, do I rat or not? Right. I see what yeah. you mean. A and lot I, of that happens. Yeah. yeah. Like obviously, okay. The movie would work without it, but it wouldn't be as like strong without, yeah. Like that code. And that's just like mob code in general. Right. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much all my questions, but like, what's something you want to discuss with someone that you never really get to talk about when you talk about this movie? Mm, I guess I kind of mentioned it. It was the fact that this was the movie that stopped helped me stop feeling sad in university and made me want to make movies mm. this was yeah. it for you okay yeah i yeah if i had to pick one it was this movie yeah yeah let me think about it. i did watch a lot of stuff i watched mostly tv shows back in school i watched arrow a lot and when mm. season four of arrow happened i was so mad uh what happened i haven't seen the show okay basically okay here we go i have to set up for this all right First two seasons of Arrow are amazing, right? It's not the best, but it's good for what it is, you know? And the second season was amazing because um, they had Deathstroke in there and they established him as like an ally to Arrow at first, but then later on he becomes his worst villain because he's not only attacking him as Arrow, he's attacking him as Oliver Queen. He's attacking his family, his friends, everyone close to him because he did something to him that... He believes he did something to him that could have been avoided, right? And it's amazing, like, great ending, second season. Third season comes on, they're basically just taking, like, Batman villains and using them as Arrow villains. For example, they have Ra's al Ghul there, and mm-hmm. not, the great, not the greatest at all. And it's, like, very lackluster. It's Compared to, like, the first two seasons, it, it sucks, right? And I saw this as it aired, right? So it's not like I was mm-hmm. binging it on all eight seasons. No, I was, saw, I was seeing this week by week on the mm-hmm. CW. And... Um, season four comes around. I'm like, you know, maybe they learned their lessons. You know, maybe they're uh, some of their side characters aren't as insufferable, in, insufferable anymore. And no, it was worse. <laughs> it was so much worse. There's like 22 episodes a season. Eventually, there's gonna be a lot of filler. The whole thing was filler. There's like nothing for them to really establish here except for like building up the Flash because at that point, the Flash had just started. Mm. And with every episode, I just got more and more mad with the characters and their decisions it got to a point where i missed an episode because i was really busy with school and i was gonna rewatch it i was gonna like watch it like the next in the next couple of days and then i was getting on the website to like watch it and i'm like you know what past couple of days i haven't been stressed out as much because i haven't been angry at all (laughs) (laughs) maybe i should stop watching the show (laughs) quality of life went up dude it's (laughs) so crazy how like somebody that was like stressing me out like making me mad as soon as I cut it off my life. Yeah. 
I didn't even have to think about it. It's like it shot up. I'm like, huh, these past two weeks, I've had to think about I haven't been stressed out. Like I know what's going on, but like I haven't watched it. So like, you know what? I'm just not watching it anymore. And yeah. since then, just never watched it. And I heard stories of how like how it got worse from there. For worse from mm. season four. I'm gonna give you an example. In season four, his love interest. Okay, there's two things, two part, two part, two parts of this. Okay. In the comics, his love interest is Black Canary. You know, um, Diana Lance. He, um, she's like Lois Lane to Superman. You know, that's how close they are in the comics. That's like inter- mm-hmm. integral. But then there's like this character who was made for the TV show who got really popular, and the loudest fans of the show. Or like, oh, we want them to be Endgame. And I guess they listened mm. to these fans on this one, even though they weren't the majority, they were just the loudest. And then they killed off Black Canary. Oh, shit. And then they brought, put up like this other character. And then she gets shot, right? She loses the ability to use her legs, right? So she's kind of like, mm. what's her name? Um, she was like Batgirl in a sense, right? They kind of like gave her that role of like Oracle. And then... She, like, has insufferable fights with him over for no reason, just for drama. And at one point, she leaves him. But guess how she leaves him? She's in a wheelchair. She's in a wheelchair. No, no, no. (laughs) If only. If only. (laughs) She gets up from her wheelchair and walks away. Oh, that's amazing. That's so, so garb- that's so bad. I love it. It's so bad. <laughs> and they didn't establish it because like, in the same episode in the beginning, she was recovering. She was in physical therapy and she was like struggling. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the episode, she's able to walk up and get- walk away. Walk away. <laughs> I'm like, you never established that she was able to walk like that. You showed in the same episode she couldn't walk without immense help. And how can you show this? So I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Now is yeah. That's a very long explanation as to like why I loved Arrow when it came out, and I just hated it afterwards. And then the Flash replaced it, and then it went for the same season three curse. Mm. Why is that? Is that like do people know why this happens to CW superhero shows at season three? I have a theory, not a okay. theory. I have a hunch. Okay. The first two seasons, the first season always has the most production value because they're investing more into it. So they have like the best writers, whatever. And then it gets lower in production value because they have to use a license to use the characters' names in every episode because it's not their creation, it's DC's. So mm-hmm. they had to like cut costs everywhere. And I believe it also within the writers, they had to cut costs as well. So they, they had to let some people go. And also it's 22, 24 episodes a year. So like... They're 40, 45 minutes, right? Yeah, they're 45 That's minutes each. Lot. So it's a lot. It's like you have to dilute a lot of the material. And then it gets more popular each year. So like they're going to make it keep going. So even though all the best stories have already been told, they have to have a way to make it keep going, make it more money. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of what happened with Supernatural. Like even though the show was supposed to end at season five, the original story, they kept going for another eight years because they kept making more money. Mm, I see. So... I call it the season three curse because that's all that happened with Arrow, where I had amazing first two seasons, and then third seasons when they're really trying to find, well, what else can we do? The Flash, first season was great. I love the first season. Second season was okay. Could have been better. Third season was just terrible. And 
I guess because they're like they're being stretched thin with all the DCCW shows. They're not sure like they they had Black Lightning, they had Batwoman, eventually they had Supergirl. They even had Legends of Tomorrow, which I was amazed that they had a hundred episodes. To be honest, because yeah, I think you'll like that one because each episode is like a different genre of film. They had like a western, oh, nice. they had a samurai science fiction. Yeah, oh that's cool. So like over a yeah. hundred episodes, they did that. They did over 100 episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, which were like, and they were basically like the outcasts of all the other shows from like Flash and Arrow, you know? I see, I see. So, yeah. Man, I'm going to have to edit this out because it's not part of the topic. <laughs> Bonus <cares>? features. <laughs> people, this is what people want to hear. Let me spoil Guardians of the Galaxy 3 right now and then leave it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus features. Patreon. Yeah. I, I don't have one, though. <laughs> all right. Yo, do so, it. Put it in. That's interesting, up? though. That There's a lot. Well,. We can talk after the podcast on a different day about all this other <laughs> shit. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to talk about the production real quick. So Goodfellas is based on the New York crime reporter Nicholas Pelegi's book called Wise Guy. And Martin Scorsese didn't intend to make another mob film. But he saw a review of the book and then he actually eventually read it while he's working on the set of The Color of Money in 1986. And he was really fascinated by the mob lifestyle and was drawn to the book because he thought it was an, uh, the most honest portrayal of gangsters he'd ever read. After reading the book, he knew that what approach he wanted to take with it. He said, quote, To begin Goodfellas like a gunshot and have it get faster from there, almost like a two and a half hour trailer, I think it's the only way you can really sense the exhilaration of the lifestyle and to get a sense of why a lot of people are attracted to it, unquote. And according to Pelegi, Scorsese cold called him and he says, hey, uh, it's Martin Scorsese, the filmmaker. And back then, he wasn't like Martin Scorsese. He was just a regular filmmaker guy. But Pelegi knew who he was. And he told Pelegi, hey, I've been waiting for this book my entire life. To which Pelegi replied, I've been waiting for this phone call my entire life. I like the little interaction they had there. He's like, hey, it's me, uh, uh, Martin Scorsese. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... I don't believe that it actually went down like that, but I'll, let's, I'll pray that it did. It, it, it was in the Blu-ray um, bonus feature in the commentary. No, because I've heard it, but I'm just like, oh, I'm sure there's a, <laughs> but a bunch of banter, but they're like, yeah, let's make it sound cool. You said that, but I said that. <laughs> you know what? It's going to go down as legend. <laughs> He's yeah, like, hey, exactly. man, I've been waiting for this book my entire life. I've been waiting for this phone call my entire life. <laughs> they're like, yeah, the P- PR team, marketing is going to love it. Say that. <laughs> so... They both collaborated on the screenplay, and over the course of 12 drafts, it was finally reached like their ideal script, and Pelegi realized, like, oh, the visual styling has to be different. It can't be like how it is in a book, and he was fine with that. I guess he's one of the few writers who recognizes, like, you can't adapt the book exactly how the book is written, because it's a different medium. And that's something that a lot, of pe- a lot of people get. I didn't get it at first, either. Like, when you're adapting a book into a movie or a TV show, you have to take some things out in order to make sure... Is the best for the medium it's going to be on. So they just chose sections of the book that they liked and put them together like building blocks. And the initial title for the film was Wise Guy. They later changed it to the title of Goodfellas because there were two projects happening at the same time with Brian De Palma's Wise Guys and a TV mm. show Wise Guy. Have you seen that? Have you seen that TV show Wise Guy? I've never even heard of it. All right. So basically. Think like Gotham City before Batman arrives. Oh, that's an interesting premise. So it's just yeah. fucked. It's Baltimore. Basically. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you ever seen Batman the animated series, you know how it's like gangsters, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like, I mean, he's, it's kind of like that, but it's not like 
1940s. It's like the 1980s, you know? Right, right. And there's this guy who's like undercover and he has to like build up this whole story like how he was in jail. He has to like get close to like the mob the mob boss to make sure he gets gets enough evidence to take him down. It's a pretty good show. I really liked it. Mm. I guess it's like one of the earliest examples of like cable network TV. Mm, um, I see. Yeah, from from the 80s to the 90s. And I think right, it's right. still on Tubi. I'm not sure if they had that in Canada. Oh, okay. But it should uh, still be on Tubi. Yeah, not sure. Right. Also, wow. uh, so Irishman also has the same like book. Um, ah. The book idea where like the book is called I Heard You Paint Houses. Mm-hmm. But if you watch Irishman the beginning, it is the title is I Heard You Paint Houses. Mm-hmm. That's what you see. You only see Irishman at the very end. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I haven't seen Irishman yet either. I Yo, just knew, watch that movie. It's sick. I, I just know it's like really long. And at the time when it came out, I was so busy. I barely had time to sleep. <laughs> no, I, so, I even I watched it in like pieces. Yeah. yeah. I guess I, that's a good way to see it. So as far as like the casting for this film, once Robert De Niro was agreed to, to be in the movie, Scorsese was able to secure the money he needed for this film which was, I believe it was $25 million. And that was like, up to that point, that was the highest he'd ever had for a budget film. And Ray Liotta, he re- who played Henry Hill, he read the book when it came out and he loved it. And a couple years later, his agent told him that Scorsese was going to direct a, di- a film adaptation. In 1988, Liotta met Scorsese over a period of a couple months and auditioned for the film. And he campaigned aggressively for the role through Warner Bros. Pictures. Um, but Warner Brothers Pictures wanted like a more well-known actor, and he later said, "I think they would have rather had Eddie Murphy than me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eddie, Eddie Murphy was Murphy. big at the time. Eighties, Eddie Murphy, he was big. Y'all um, watch that movie, Eddie Murphy playing an Italian guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should. We can still make that. We can still make that. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, that's my goal. I'm gonna try to get that movie made in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> so. Scorsese's cast Leota after De Niro saw him in a movie called Something Wild. And Scorsese was surprised by his explosive energy in that film. Some other actors who were considered for the role of Conway, which Robert De Niro eventually caught, were Al Pacino and John Malkovich. And Sean Penn, Alec Baldwin, Val Kilmer, and Tom Cruise were considered for the role of Henry Hill. Mm. It would have been a very different movie if it was Tom Cruise in that role. Yeah, and like... Fucking Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. <laughs> That's like he the kinda, safest choice. <laughs> like he looks like a gangster. I'd buy it, but he doesn't have, I guess I'm so used with Henry. Like I equate him with just like youth. Mm. And like, to me, Alec Baldwin doesn't have that sense of youth. He's just maturity. That's how I always like. He's always, he's always been like a 50 year old man, you know? Even yeah, when yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like out of the womb, his mother like cursed God for giving birth to this 50 year old man fully developed. It was a nightmare. He looked like he was already worried about his 401k. <laughs> <laughs> so to research for her role, Lorraine Bracco tried to get close to a mob wife, but was unable to because they're, they exist in a very tight-knit community. She decided not to meet the real Karen because, as she said, she, quote, thought it would be better if the creation came from me. I used her life of her parents as an emotional guideline for that role, unquote. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Like she felt like, "Hey, I should probably get close to the mob community, the mob wife community." Oh, I'm so glad she didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad she wasn't able to, because that's like you're getting too close to comfort, <laughs> too close for comfort. Oh man, oh, I, I think it'd be pretty cool if she did. So I, she did uh, very I well. The craft. I admire the craft. Yeah, and the thing is, she mentioned like 
I haven't seen enough um, mob movies to think if this is true but like there aren't a lot of mob movies at least at that time where women are part of the operation right right yeah you do usually the roles of like the side side hoes you know quote unquote <laughs> yes quote quote unquote quote unquote <laughs> side hoe quote unquote <laughs> like was pretty like her character um she was pretty involved in the film so she's like one of the few mm-hmm. women like if you think mob movies one of the women you think of it will probably be her and, yeah like she's like a I would argue she's like a co-lead. Like she also yeah. has voiceover. She's for half sure. voiceover as her. Yeah. For sure. And she did great. And yeah. another actor, Paul Sorvino, he had no problem finding the voice and walk of his character. We find it challenging finding what he called the kernel of coldness and absolute hardness that is antithetical to my nature, except when, when my family is threatened. This man is Vin <laughs> Diesel. <laughs> oh God. And you know, this is something out. this is, Crazy, I learned this. Um, former EDNY prosecutor Edward A. McDonald appeared in the film as himself, recreating the conversation he had with Henry Karen Hill about joining the witness protection program. So McDonald was friends with um, Pelegi, who was cast on a whim. Like while they're on a location scout, they were taking pictures of his office, and McDonald casually remarked that he would be happy to play himself if needed. And Pelegi called him like an hour later, asking if he was serious, and he said he he was. So he he was cast. And that scene, according to him, was unscripted with him improvising the line, mm-hmm. referring to Karen as a babe in the woods. Oh, nice. That was like, yeah, when um, like his performance was like so good. And I'm like, he's like doing nothing. It's so good that he's doing nothing. <laughs> and I found out to see actual guy. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it was this actual conversation. Like, dude. Yeah. You're going to yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was like just like so matter of fact, no bullshit. Like, here's the facts. Like, let's go. Yeah. Sometimes you need some, you need like a no bullshit guy to tell you, like, hey, yeah, get your shit together, guys. <laughs> so the film was shot on location in Queens, New York State, New Jersey, and parts of Long Island during the spring and summer of 1989, again with the budget of $25 million. And Martin Scrooge says he stated, quote, I wanted lots of movement and I wanted it to be throughout the whole picture. And I wanted the style to kind of break down by the end so that by Henry's last day as a wise guy, it's as if the whole picture will be out of control. Give the impression that he's just going to spin off the edge and fly out. I think he did a really good job doing that. Yeah, mission accomplished, Mr. Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, he, he really wants to overwhelm the audience with like so much information and images, uh, with a lot of freeze frames. It's still all uh, coherent, though. It's never confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, according to Joe Pesci, there was improvisation, ad-libbing. They came out of rehearsals where in score says he let the actors do whatever they wanted and he would make transcripts of these sessions and they took the lines that the actors came up with that he liked the best and then put them into a revised script that worked during the principal photography. For example, the scene where Tommy tells a story and Henry's responding to him like, the funny, like, funny how? Do I amuse mm-hmm. you? Uh, it's actually based on an actual event where Pesci, that Pesci experienced, he was working as a waiter and when he thought he was making a compliment to a mobster by saying he was funny, um, the comment was not taken well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, funny? Funny how? Like, do I amuse you? I want to just do it. go off. I'm going to riff a Joe Pesci impersonation <laughs> right now. <laughs> so it was worked on in rehearsals where he and Leota improvised and Scorsese recorded four to five takes rewrote the dialogue and inserted it into the script. And you know that dinner scene with um, Tommy's mother? It was largely yes. improvised. Because um, it's uh, it's Marty's mom. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. 
I like that that she was involved in the film. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, I think she's in every movie in like mm-hmm. some in some way, and his dad as well before he passed. Mm-hmm. I like that it keeps it keeps his family featured, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, have you seen a Italian American? No, I don't think. So it's like a documentary. He did it's just no. um, he's just interviewing his parents, like and just like hanging out with them at home. Oh, okay. I think and I've heard of that to- one. Yeah, and you can totally see how um like how comfortable his mom is in front of a camera just how great of like a performer she is she's mm-hmm. not even performing she's just like uh like she's just naturally just like a very entertaining person <laughs> that's good she did she did a good job of, like everything yeah so she i want to talk about the long tracking shot so yes. it came about because there was a practical problem they couldn't get permission to go through the front so they had to shoot for the back because like going through the front, that was like the short way, but they had to go around the back, which is a longer way. So he decided to film the sequence in one unbroken shot in order to symbolize Henry's entire life ahead of him, commenting, quote, it's his seduction to of Karen, and it's also the lifestyle seducing him. And I was surprised it only took them eight times to shoot it. They only shot it eight times. Yeah, it's like, like holy shit, you have a good steady cam operator. Yeah, and the fact that like the few times that they messed up was because the guy at the end forgot his line <laughs> do you remember the scene where it's like towards the end it's like literally like the last couple minutes of the show of the movie where there's like a shot of joe pesci shooting a gun at the at the camera yeah, yeah. right it, it's like a direct direct callback to the great train robbery where like the guy the cowboy is like or robber he's shooting right at the screen and yeah. i was confused about that at first because i'm like this is kind of out of nowhere like what is this supposed to represent and then i was like oh because he, Henry, he's looking at us, and he kind of he's in witness protection. He's kind of always gonna be looking behind his back because he did rat everyone else out, like literally everyone. He's always gonna be have to look out for himself. Mm-hmm. And in an interview with the movie critic Mark Cousins, Scorsese explained the reason for Pesci shooting at the camera at the end is like it is a reference to the Great Train Robbery. That's how he ends the film, and basically the plot of this picture is similar to the Great Tra- Train Robbery. Great Train Robbery. Hasn't changed 90 years later. It's the same story. The, the gunshots will always be there. He's always going to look behind his back. He's got to have his eyes behind his back because they're, they're going to get him someday. It's the only uh, two outcomes of mob life. You go to jail or you die. Yeah. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I want to, really want to mention right now because I totally forgot about this. I really want to mention how throughout the whole movie, he's narrating. And the only time where he talks to the screen is at the end when he's in the courtroom he's in the witness stand and he gets up and just starts talking to us directly mm-hmm. i'm like whoa what is this going on right here because whole time it's just like narration you think it's just a callback and then right there he just breaks the fourth wall fourth wall and addresses us directly what do you think was behind that decision he's doing some french shit is that what they did in the new wave I don't know. Probably. Um, uh, why did he do it there? I don't know, man. Um, to give it like a button, maybe like give the voiceover a button, like a, I guess a like stylistic button. That's all mm-hmm. I can think of. Or just be like, okay, let's just like, I don't know. Let's just grab as direct as possible. Like, I don't need to like, we don't need to be re- as removed as a voiceover now. I don't know. I think it's a good way to say it. It doesn't have to be so removed now that they're like it's over. It's coming to an yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what my like reaction was the first time. 
to that, and I can't remember, but it never like took me out of it. I was just like, oh, okay. Right. I guess it took me out the second time because the whole time I was watching, I'm like, wait a minute. I keep I kept thinking of Wolf of Wall Street and yes, yeah. how he kind of does that, how Leo does that in the film. Yeah, and I'm right. like thinking like, is that what this is that what he's trying to do in Wolf of Wall Street? Because he was he didn't do it as much in this movie. But whatever. I think he didn't overdo it. I it was just that one time he did it and it really brought it home. It's like, oh, this is happening, you know, like he's mm. telling us the end of the story or how the end of the story as it is now. So for post-production, he Scorsese wanted to de- depict the film's violence realistically. However, he had to remove 10 frames of blood to ensure an R rating from the MPAA. Mm. Imagine that, 10 frames. And we see... Oh, so in the first test screening for the film, we're like the last day as a wise guy. Guess how many walkouts there were within the first 10 minutes of showing that scene? Um... 50 close 40 <laughs> okay yeah there are 40 walkouts people weren't used to it they didn't like it but guess what it works <laughs> it was something yeah, like it yeah i can see i don't know if i can i like i think like for us like at like our like age and demo like we've just grown up with that style so it was never yeah. weird but yes sure like people at that time like an american hollywood audience who aren't watching 60s french new wave movies or like yo what's going on yeah definitely like we're definitely like in a post postmodern world like we've grew up watching this like by the time we were born there's already had already been like at least a century of films from yeah. all around the world that we've eventually got to see so for them in the 90s even though it was like you know i guess it just wasn't in the zeitgeist to watch french new wave it was just more like an academic thing that like mostly filmmakers were into like, you know, George, um, I forgot his name. George Carlin, not George Carlin. <laughs> not George Carlin. <laughs> George Lucas. Oh my God. How did I do that? Uh, okay. his name. Uh, people like George Lucas, you know, that the, one of their favorite scenes, the test audiences was funny, like a clown. Do I amuse you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a memorable scene. It's also like. It makes sense. It's also like a suspense scene with like a lot of tension. It's they're like, oh, this is a scene we've seen in a different type of movie. Okay, finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess you already saw the show, but this film inspired The Sopranos. And there were actors from this film who were in The Sopranos. I haven't seen all of it. I've only seen the first five episodes of The Sopranos. And then my HBO Max subscription went up. And I was <laughs> like, ooh, uh, it's okay. <laughs> So, so you've seen The Sopranos all the way throughout, right? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Do you think this was like, do you see inspirations from Goodfellas in, in Sopranos? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what ways. A, just like A, the actors. Mm-hmm. It's like, like For Paul, sure. you probably know Paul, Pauly, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, yeah, he's like, he's in Goodfellas. He's like one of my favorite characters in Sopranos. Um, probably just like the, like the honest portrayal of the mob. Yeah, because uh, I I'm, I don't know if that happened before Goodfellas. I'll take Scorsese's word and it did it because he's like, this is the most honest book I've ever read about this. Um, yeah, it's probably like those those two, I'd say. Yeah, it's definitely not in the sense of like the style, the editing style. It's much more. No, no, no. Drum, drum, it's like drama um, series. It's HBO. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. like one. Sopranos is also funny. Sopranos is a comedy to me. 
really like, and a drama it's, it's a <laughs> dramedy even the writers um i think there were for the first three seasons they kept going back and forth they didn't know if they were writing a drama or comedy really okay yeah yeah i, I guess... find it very funny i find <laughs> it so funny i guess it was those like honest in a way of like once the guys once the guys get old like how will they act like they have responsibilities they have like a family like actual families to take care of and then what's his name i forgot his name the main character he's actually going to tony he's going to therapy you know (laughs) he's got a lot to deal with he's got issues um that was the pitch hbo it was what if a gangster entered therapy and not analyze that not the robert de niro comedy let's do it like seriously yeah yeah it's range i might i got to watch it man i really like the first few episodes i saw you should. There's one. There's one episode that's like one of my favorite episodes of just television. It's in season one. It's called College, and it's. Oh, I saw that one. You saw it, right where Tony yeah. has to take his daughter to like the open houses yeah. for like uh, college and school and stuff. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's, Are you in the mob? Who told you? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's, about it's like when um, what's his Mark Mark Wahlberg was in the happening. What? No. <laughs> I need to watch the happening. I haven't seen it. Oh, uh, dude, it's. I haven't seen it either. I only saw clips of it. It's like so ridiculous how bad it is. Uh, like I am a pretty, I'm a pretty big like uh, Shyamalama Ding Dong fan. So. <laughs> Did you see Old? Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Um, I like the idea it's, of it. But... That's how I saw it. I'm like, oh, I love this premise. Um, it's funny. I say I love his movies. I like three of his movies: Shining, Unbreakable, and Split. And uh, mm. and also like signs, signs is good. So I like four of his movies. He's like Sixth Sense. Yeah. Oh, that movie's great. Okay. You should read like the first page of that screenplay. It's one of the best first pages I've read in a script. The Sixth Sense. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. the like he communicates like the exact like tone and just atmosphere of the movie like on the page. Mm. Yeah, okay. I would argue that the um this the first page of the script. How, is scarier than like the first minute of the movie really yeah okay i will have to look into that you know i learned a lot from this episode <laughs> that's <laughs> why that's why you're in, that's why y'all are here <laughs> if i'm learning something the audience is learning something too <laughs> let's hope let's hope <laughs> so that concludes our conversation today thank you so much manish for being here i really appreciate you coming here talking about goodfellas so let me ask you real quick even though you've already seen this movie uh, was Goodfellas a hit or a miss for you? Yeah, it was a hit. Big hit. Biggest hit of my life. Saved my life. I was gonna. I was in depression. I was sad. Saved my life. Goodfellas. Thank you, Scorsese and other everyone who worked on it. Yeah, it's always unique to hearing like what different pieces of media helps people at their lowest point. Yeah. Um I heard this one guy on Reddit. Uh, for him, it was Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, props, man. Props. That's a great game. Mm-hmm. So where can we find you on social media? You can find me at, uh, so on TikTok, it's money underscore regs, M-U-N-Y underscore R-A-G-S. And Instagram, just money regs, M-U-N-Y R-A-G-S. Yeah, you guys should watch his stuff. If you like this podcast, I think you'll like his Instagram stuff a lot more. But just remember, just come back here. <laughs> so Yo, that's- remember, I, remember, yeah, remember what got you there. <laughs> So that's it for today, folks. You've been listening to the Hit List Podcast. This was Season 6, Episode 2. My name is Jason, and until next time, cross off a new film from your list.